Hey, everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here and for giving us about 45 minutes to an hour of your time, real time, not the elapsed time that actually happens if you watch, listen to us at two times speed. Anyway, this is episode 103, and I have double checked, triple checked my microphone. It's working on both sides this time. Yay. Great. We should do a poll. Oh, man. You guys. On our Telegram channel. So I think it was Matthew suggested doing polls for random little things. And so I, I'll confess right now, I didn't know how to do a poll on Telegram. So I Googled it. I'm like, ah, I need to turn on the poll bot. So the poll bot is, you know, AI for chat, like an automated bot, you know. Anyway, I turned it on and fired up a poll. And um, boy, was there some pushback. There's better ways it's, to do polls. It's but. because people who get notifications of comments in the Telegram, which I do not, it, every single response to the poll came up as a comment or as a notification. And so if a dozen people responded to one poll each or two polls each, that's almost 50 notifications immediately that literally mean almost nothing to you. The point yes. of a poll is so you can see all of this yep. in a condensed way. Yep. So there's a way to do it if you go down to, if you're not part of our Telegram group, um, I encourage you to be a part of our Telegram group uh, because it's it's enjoyable. It's humorous. There's a lot of activity and conversation. It's not all just humorous, though. It's a great combination it of is. lighthearted and um, heavy but anyway, so if you are Godly one of our if you are one of our Telegram users, you probably know this already. But if you use the chat, you use the pin, the paperclip attachment icon, you can actually attach a poll. That's way more traditional, and then just pin it to the top of the group. Although this got me thinking, Molly, because one of the things that people were complaining about with the poll bot was getting overwhelmed with, um, with. Uh, notifications and just having to scroll through 130 messages or something like that. Right. You know, I've got a lot of telegram groups for various things that I'm interested in. And that's my biggest complaint. I'll go away for, I mean, I don't have time or desire to sit online reading through everything all the time. So I'll leave for an hour and come back and there's, you know, 3000 new messages. So I think it's some, Holy cow. Yeah. So I think at some point, um, something like telegram, depending on how big our group gets, um, might actually need to be phased out to something a little bit more like Discord or Slack. Slack is kind of on the way out. I mean, I guess it's in with business crowds, but... So you're trying um, to get so us no, late adopters no, to learn and download, to download and then no, learn yet no, another new no, technology. No, I'm not asking that right now. I'm just musing you're that just there might... You're just warning us that you might... There might come a day, you guys, when... You know, we have. You are basically telling everybody we can't keep up. You're basically telling everybody who's a late adopter like me, don't bother getting on our Telegram. Don't bother downloading something new and learning it. No, because you're going to have to figure guys, something else out soon. Telegrams is easy as sending a text message. Just don't even, don't even, don't even. Yeah, like seriously. But anyway, we are not a podcast that supports a Telegram channel. We have a Telegram channel that supports the podcast. And so we're a podcast. So we are back to the intro. Um, if this is your first time joining us, Molly and I are happily married. We're going on 14 years at the end of August. And we have four kids. 
11, 9, 7, and turd. And we uh, live in Montana and we homeschool and we do things and we live a random life. And this is reality podcasting because we don't rehearse anything that we talk about. Molly usually starts talking about something and my son interrupts us by knocking on the door. What? Are you during the podcast? I mean, sorry. No, no, no. Hey, Tito. Tito, 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 Tito. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Normally, they'd be awesome. Wait, where are you going? Give it, hey. Give buddy, it to Maui. Hold buddy, it. Buddy, buddy. Hold. Come here. Come here. Come give me a hug. Buddy. No, come here. You should stop and go give him a hug. Chase him down and apologize Man, for me. That was a little... I didn't... I didn't intend for it to come up. He's... He was, was trying to be... really funny. He didn't. Does he feel better? Mm-hmm. Good. Did you eat the peanut butter? Well, yeah, since I was sitting there talking to him. Okay. Did he let Maui lick the spoon before you ate No, he, he actually walked outside to go find Maui. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying, is he um, had Maui started eating it, and then you had to eat a dog spoonful of peanut butter. I think that we should just, like, say that was a pause so you could go apologize to Tito for the peanut butter thing and start with new thoughts. There's no way we're going to have a smooth transition back to whatever. Well, I was trying to think of where I left off. I know. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Well, I'll figure something out. You just said that. I'm just going to leave that in. Okay, that's fine. Um, Take that shot glass and take a sip of it. What is it? It's the marinade I have over the cherries Mm, that we are going to put in our... I'm smelling hints of... I don't know. Oh. It's going to be really good in cherries. Oh, I want this on ice cream. So you guys, it, it's we, a dark purple color. It is. It's so it's reduced wine. I literally, we've had a box of wine sitting on our counter. Does not taste anything like wine. It has. We've had a box of wine sitting on our counter for probably months. That's the secret. Let a box of wine sit out on the counter for <laughs> six months and don't touch it. It's when you take a Boda box and age it really well on the counter. No. So I mixed it. I found a recipe on Pinterest. There's all sorts of recipes out there for potted cherries, which you can use. I don't like this kind of stuff either. This you, is really good. It's because it's basically wine simple syrup. Uh, you use... Um, there's a, So uh, <clears throat> I always get the Kellers confused. There's Tim Keller who is the theologian, and there's another Keller, Thomas Keller, is a famous chef. He opened the French mm-hmm. Laundry, which is like $800 a plate Tim's in Napa brother. Valley. No relation. He <laughs> he also has Bouchon Bakery and a fancy restaurant in New York City. We've had, we've eaten at Bouchon to mm-hmm. go. We've gotten pastries there and then eaten them in Central Park. But, so he's a famous four-star, four-Michelin-star chef, and I have one of his cookbooks, and he has a potted cherries recipe in there, and I've tried various recipes over the years because JR's old-fashioned recipe is bourbon, a slice of orange, walnut bitters, and a marinated, the ones at the restaurant. Black walnut bitters. Black walnut bitters, and the recipe that from this store or the restaurant that we got the <clears throat> this old-fashioned recipe from they use burgundy cherries in, in like big restaurant you know tubs and we've gotten the entire tub from them before but you so i i'm trying to remake that for us to take old fashions up to our 
visit. That's, that's better. Because it's real ingredients and it's fresh. So what I did, you guys, is I took two cups of Boda Box Cabernet that's been sitting on our counter for months. And I mixed it with one cup of sugar. So ferment the already fermented liquid. No, the the, <laughs> the important part is, and then it had two cinnamon sticks and a dash of cloves and a dash of cardamom. And I, I boiled it to reduce it to almost half that amount. So it's a it's syrupy now. It's not a super thick syrup, but it's a really sweet. And it boiled most of the alcohol out of the wine. And then right before I poured it over the pitted cherries, one jar is fresh pitted cherries and another jar is frozen cherries because I had so much syrup. I added a little bit of vanilla, like a teaspoon of vanilla, and a tablespoon per jar of Four Roses bourbon. Mm. So that's, you've got all of that. I And then I poured it over the cherries while it was still hot, fresh off of the stove. It would taste amazing on any dessert, on... In Ice any cream, drink, in a drink. Even if you, I mean, it's alcoholic. It it requires the wine to make it. You can make cherries with just pouring like a spiced simple syrup over them. So that would go cinnamon, cloves, like... nutmeg, whatever. You could pour it just over cherries if you didn't want to do the alcohol. And then the cherries release juice that then makes a syrup as mm-hmm. they're sitting. But these I are feel only like th- it would make an awesome vodka cocktail. A little bit of that with some vodka in it. Okay. So anyway, fresh cherry. I will have Jr. Mm. post the recipe that I used for these cherries. Okay. And I, I'm trying to think if I had any other recipes I was going to comment on. And then on. Kim can later gloat about how good everything was on Telegram. <laughs> yes. She does not strike me as a gloating type of person. Not even remotely. So, the right before Jr. clicked record, I was watching a video of. The View, you know, the daytime TV show that people love to hate or just wish didn't exist. So we didn't have to love to hate it. But they had they had made slanderous, defaming comments about a Turning Point USA event. And I'd seen on some of the conservative sites that they follow that TPUSA was, which is a really funny abbreviation, TPUSA. (laughs) That TPUSA had threatened a lawsuit or had filed a lawsuit for defamation because the neo-Nazis that were protesting their event, the view had claimed were part of their event. And so anyway, so so Turning Point filed a lawsuit and the view was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we're sorry. If anything we said may have been misconstrued as, you know, like the... We didn't mean to say it. Yeah. Uh, so... I, I was just thinking, though, um, the JR commented when I, I watched the video and kind of told him about that. He's like, of course, the only way to get them to apologize is legal action that is a genuine threat to them. And which is which is unfortunately true. And it made me think of I've been reading. I just finished Carl Truman's new book, Strange New World, because now I'm going to gloat. I'm totally unabashedly going to gloat. My Canavox event, our staff annual conference that I'm going to a week a week from tomorrow, I fly to Philly and then we'll Uber up to Princeton for it. Uh, Dr. Truman will be our speaker on Saturday. Okay. Pause. 
So I'm legit going to gloat over that. To the le, to the too busy to flush listener that called up to become a state leader. Mad props. Yes, I'm hoping it or was Rachel because you've uh, <clears throat> asked about it before. But I'm super excited for you. I feel free. You're to... super excited to try to keep up with Carl Truman too. I am. I'm also. He he was one of my professors at Westminster. He's gone through a couple of institutions that he's worked at since then. But but truly, his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and then the lay level book of that strange new world seem to be so important for understanding our times. And if you made it through the rise and triumph of the modern self, I know there's at least one of you out there who listened to it on audio and props to you. I made it a chapter and a half in and could really only read about a page at a time, maybe two before my brain was full. I was behind on my reading schedule for Strange New World, so I read the whole book in about three days, which the philosophical stuff, he traces the philosophical streams that he thinks contributed to getting us where we are today. And then he pauses and he says, "This, these are, now I can't remember the phraseology for, for logic, but it wasn't inevitable that just because the philosophers were saying and thinking this, that we would have this giant uptake in our culture. But here's other factors that all seem to feed into None of them were sufficient causes in and of themselves, but all of these things in our culture and the philosophical streams of thought piling together all seemed to get us to his, his kind of classic statement is, how is it that we can hear someone say, I am a woman trapped in a man's body, and so much of our culture that makes sense to them? It, they don't look at him like he needs psychiatric help or like he's just crazy and have said something completely incomprehensible, but that that is actually a comprehensible statement in today's world. So he is trying to answer through the history of philosophy and then some other cultural moments how that came to be a statement that people could say and mean and be understood saying in our world today. And one of the interesting things that, you know, we we talk about Marxist philosophy a lot, and I'm sure there are people out there who are much more studied and smarter than I am who have studied Marxist philosophy. But one of the interesting things that Truman brought out was, and this is why there's, there's actually a link to the TPUSA story here, but... Truman said, to Marx, everything boiled down to economics and to labor. And so literally nothing in what you did or thought or acted from the time you were a child on upward could be separated from you and your labor and the work that you did. And... That meant, and because when all of those labors are combined, somebody, some, somebody or somebody's society has to have a way of managing the product of those labors and the way people use those labors to cooperate and to contribute to society. That means that everything you do and everything you think from childhood on is political. And... Truman says it doesn't... So America did really go Marxist. Yes. He, sa- he makes a comment. He says, 
we're all Marxists now. And it's even if you want to not be Marxist in that sense, you can't. You can't opt out of where our culture has gone in us all being Marxist. Because if you don't, you lose. Because the other side is making everything political. You have to fight that battle. So, And, and then he, he talks about how then Freud comes in and everything for Freud is sexual. And the merging of Freud and Marx means that this everything is sexual and political. And then that uh, he talks about Nietzsche comes in and the sense of identity and the emptying of trying to figure out what human nature is if if we've rejected God, if we've said God is dead, and we're trying to figure out what human nature is, that means that, you know, is it is Nietzsche the one who said, I think, therefore I am? Or was that, that was somebody else? Kant? I don't know. See, this is where all these people on this phone call I was on have studied philosophy and were very fluent in this. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what she's talking about. I'm so confused. And then we started getting into more of the the modern well, culture about, stuff. And it made... No, no, but what I'm, let me finish my thought at least there, which is the Truman makes the case, and more convincingly for someone who's less easily confused than I am, uh, for why sexual behavior has gone from the historic Christian worldview, which is sexual behavior is something that you do to sex, your sexuality is something that you are. So it's gone from behavior to an identity. And there's a merging of the sexual identity as being at the core of your identity and the marks everything is political, which is why then we have kindergartners being trained to masturbate and the attempt to from what we how we would see attempt to corrupt and groom very young children in a sexual manner because to them that's the core that's at the very core of how they see politics and how society should should function in the world but it just made me it i know it's so frustrating for so many parents to have to talk to our kids about sexuality things and to be having to be proactive and learn things and be ready to have conversations preventatively or well before we believe our kids are ready. And at core, the reason we have to do that is because we live in a Marxist culture and we can't sit back and say, we're going to opt out. We're not Marxist. We are Marxist by default. And we have to fight that battle, just like Turning Point USA had to file a lawsuit in order to get uh, an apology from the view. What's scary is how much of that philosophy, I mean, think about the Marxist idea of work and what you do and everything else. It, it all kind of boils down to that and how much in Christianity, things like calling, like, um, you know, identity, all those things are related really tightly around what you do in this culture. Mm-hmm. And it's scary how much some of that stuff has infiltrated, you know, our our understanding of the Bible and our understanding of Christianity. When we, you know, I would place myself in um, probably a, a, having an, an understanding and a training in biblical things of higher than average. Mm-hmm. 
but yet I'm still falling prey to all of these very basic things and recognizing how deep some of this really worldly philosophy has influenced mm-hmm. those things. That's that's a pretty scary. It is. It, okay. It's it's not. I don't remember if it was Truman's book or something else that I read or listened to recently, but, and I don't even know if it was referring to Marxism, but I think it applies. Marxism is less a secular or atheist philosophy than it is a heresy. And when you're talking about the biblical view of work, what he's done is he's taken something, you know, what Satan does is he doesn't go 180 degrees away from what's true is he goes two degrees off of what's true. And then the trajectory of that takes you further and further away from what's true. But but when Marx says that that labor or what a person does is key to a person's identity and sense of happiness and satisfaction and relationship to society, we look at that and go, that absolutely has a biblical root because God made mankind to reflect him mm-hmm. and the work that he does and the, to be joyful in being productive and to find satisfaction. And the curse of the fall for men is that your labor is tainted with thorns in whatever. And with so, you know, however you live that out in the work that you do your labor is going to be frustrated is going to be marked by not feeling totally fulfilled in it and marked by it not working out always as you intend and marx looks at that and says the problem with the problem with your labor is not that you live in a fallen world the problem with your labor is that somebody else is taking the product of your labor away from you so if you if you are a craftsman. I think of Davis out there who is a craftsman. You make a table. You, in a in the type of society that Marx was railing against, you don't make the table for your family and every time your family sits down at dinner, enjoy the fruit of your labor. You have to sell the table for pittance, for not nearly what it's worth, and then you can barely afford to feed your family while you sit on the floor because you can't afford to keep the beautiful table that you made. And the more workers end up in factories, the more alienated, and that's a big a big catchword for Marx's alienation, the more alienated mankind is from from their labor. And so so what Marx is doing though is saying that rather than the the very earth that we're working being cursed by the fall He's saying that other people are the problem <laughs> and the way that society is structured is the problem. And if only we could structure society in such a way that you weren't alienated from your labor, then we would be able to create this Marxist utopia. And so you can see how, for one thing, how that's going to latch on to poor, you know, p- poor people are going to latch on to that because they feel that very deeply. The being held under the thumb of rich people who enjoy the, the product of your labor and you don't get compensated adequately for it. And just that sense of alienation and dissatisfaction in toiling hard and not 
getting to enjoy the fruit of your labor. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this um, because it's one of those controversial things that you can get in trouble for saying. But I've always felt like, or not felt like, but I've always had this sense that what Marxists and what communists really want is the new heavens and the new earth. They want a completely God-centric kingdom. But they don't realize it yet. No, they no, don't no. Recognize they don't it. want to go. They, they, <clears throat> they want, want it without they want, God. Right. But they want, but what they want almost feels a little bit like what, uh, what, uh, a sinless oh, for perfection sure. kingdom would look like. That's for what I'm sure. trying to say. The like, problem is communism perfected would probably be a pretty cool way to go. Which is why, again, <laughs> which is why, <laughs> but it can't ever be perfected, which is why it's a heresy. Right. It's it's not an atheistic worldview. It's actually a heresy because it says we can accomplish what God is working in this world to do and that God could only do by the blood of his son. And they're saying we want to do it without God. And we're going to do it by redefining sin and by by a con- it's a tower of babel thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to heaven without God because we can do it. And that's why, without that doctrine of sin, that's why you keep seeing socialists being like, well, yeah, Venezuela, you know, well, first Russia, and then Eastern Europe, and Venezuela, and China, and all of these other places in Asia that have tried communism, socialism, we're going to do it better. They they had X, Y, or Z flaw, and that's why they are where they are now. But but if only we could try it, we would do it, we would do it successfully, which... Is so funny to me. Well, I mean, it's not. It's not funny. Haha. It's funny in the. Do you not look at the brokenness of the world around you and realize? I mean, what we see in Black Lives Matters and the Marxism there is there's the world for them is defined by having an oppressor class and an oppressed class, and never the twain shall meet. They just keep trading places. Yeah. And they don't recognize that. Just the goal for them is just let us get on top and we'll make things right. And of course, that as a cynical realist Christian, I go, no, 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 no. You've got just as much sin in your heart as somebody else. You're just not recognizing it, which possibly makes you more of a danger to whomever Mm. you're going to succeed in being the oppressor class over but uh i i don't think you're off base at all in saying that you think that what marx and others are trying to accomplish is the new heavens and the new earth minus minus the god who created the heavens and the earth and minus the savior whose blood was necessary to redeem us from why we're not currently living in a state of glory yeah. You said better what I was trying to say, but you, you got what I was throwing out there. Yep, I <clears throat> did. So what else is going on in our lives? You guys, I had um, a great, great show the other night. I want to put somebody on your radar because I am a firm uh, believer that within um, a very short period of time, he's going to be 
a very big artist. And if you're into country music, I'm not super into country music, but I had the pleasure of mixing for a band called, uh, for, a, for a, a gentleman, an artist named Nate Burnham. Nate Burnham. And he's out of Texas. A year and a half ago, he used to own a business in Idaho Falls and decided he was going to pack up, move to Texas, and become a full-time musician. His and wife, he's got four kids. He's got four and kids. And his wife was on board with that? His wife was totally on Did board with it. Did they have a good it. savings account? I don't know. But his <laughs> wife was on board with it. They've got four kids that are our kids' ages. His band consists of two brothers on bass and guitar, uh, bass and drums, and um, another longtime family friend from Idaho Falls. Um, and she still lives in Idaho Falls. The bassist still lives in Idaho Falls, but the drummer is now his full-time drummer living in Texas with him. Anyway, the the violinist is 17 years old, and she's been a part of like a, you know the longtime family friend. She's been in the family since they were she was a little girl. Anyway, she uh, has been invited to play at the Grand Ole Opry twice already. Just phenomenal musicianship. And um, anyway, all four of them are Christians, which was pretty cool to find out. So we hit it off pretty well. Um, but anyway, I just, I was really, and the show sounded awesome. Like I was just like, this is a great, and I get kind of a little bit of a high when I have a great sounding live mix, live show. So anyway, um, that was really pleasurable. So when you guys jump on Spotify or something like that, look up Nate Burnham. If you are uh, B-U-R-N-H-A-M, if you're into, um, you know, country, I'm not super into country, but um, I really, really liked this guy. I told my dad to come down and check him out too. And he says he runs all his songs by his wife. And so he has these ideas and he writes them down. And she's like, well, I like the message behind the song, but I don't like all that cheating stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It is funny. He actually has a song called, I think it's called Suburbs. And he's like, what better thing to make fun of than living in the suburbs? Because nothing's cool when you live in the suburbs. And so he's singing about driving a two-wheel drive truck and going to Walmart and Home Depot and being only a couple blocks oh, a and having two green wheel grass. drive truck. Yeah. I knew a man and I knew a man at seminary so, who had a two-wheel drive truck. And in yeah. Philly that actually didn't work very well because no. it snowed. And it just was silly. No, so he he wrote a whole song and I guess it was a, it was a, I mean it was a hit when we when he did it at the at the brewery, but it was, it was a really funny. So that was fun. Um I got the bumper on the van, so if you guys have been following along with any of our van adventures, we've been we we built out a van this last and now it's just like little little things here and there. And one of those was a bumper that happened to come in two weeks too late after I smacked a deer coming back from Whitefish, but it's on there now. And it wasn't it was just me and my buddy who was doing the welding. He just I did some welds, you guys. I've welded before. Um, I'm not very good. Yeah, my welds, I did the welds on the back of the bumper, and it, they look sort of akin to um, really horrible medieval battle scarring. <laughs> so just like nasty scars everywhere. My lines aren't very straight. It's hard to see. Anyway, um, Molly's been typing over on her phone. Sorry. So I'm, I'm hoping that something I say spurs... This is the the uh, the... the dark side of not planning a show. No, no, no. I, I actually, I did think of something that I was going to tell people. So I was at Costco the other day. I try to go once a month. I got this from a friend, Becky, who at the time when she told me she does this, she had six kids at home. And I was like, you go to what? You go to Costco once a month, two golden retrievers, 
So she alternates which months she buys dog food and which months she buys toilet paper because that fills up the bottom of her cart. And and she buys all of their staple stuff. And then weekly she goes to a grocery store to fill in the gaps. And so about two years ago, actually right about the time of COVID before, back when we were like, don't go shopping very much, try to minimize exposure, don't let vulnerable people go shopping. Like right at the beginning of COVID when we had no idea what we were dealing with. I was like, I'm going to try to do the shopping at Walmart once a month thing. Or not Walmart, at Costco once a month thing. And I pretty much have stuck to it for over two years now. And gradually with inflation, our bill has crept upward. Mm -hmm. But the crazy thing was, and I'll just, I will actually use numbers. Uh, I, when I would go to Costco every week, I would spend 200 to $250 at Costco every week. When I dropped down to once a month, I was spending about $400 at Costco once a month. And my weekly grocery shopping, which I go between natural grocers, which natural grocers just raised their egg prices. They've been $1.99 a dozen for years. Whenever we get this shop built, it's going to have We're a chicken have, coop. So. Yep. But, but natural grocers just went up to two ninety nine for their cheapest level of eggs. Is it but cheaper to buy from our friends still? It, it's the same now. Well, their their eggs are better, but they don't. Our they friends. don't. Yeah, but they don't create it. They don't make enough for our family's egg consumption. But um, so then I supplement it. Usually, our natural grocers and Winco are right next to each other, so I do that or a Walmart pickup is what I do weekly and Costco once a month. I'm up to about six hundred dollars for a Costco trip once a month still. And very rarely do I, and I go and I stick to my list. I have a long running list of all the things that we're almost out of or that we are out of. And I'm like, sorry, kids, I'm not restocking that until I go back to Costco at the end of the month, which is part of why it saves us money. And I I kind of keep a mental tab of what I'm getting to. And by the time I get through the store, when I get to the granola bar section and stuff, if I'm not breathless that how high our bill will be i'll throw in a thing of fig bars or of granola bars or something for the kids but i haven't done that recently because i'm a little bit breathless at what i know the bill's going to be <laughs> um and oh and i should also throw in i i almost never buy meat at costco unless it's like sausages this last month we're on coupon so i bought some organic chicken sausages but i usually buy chicken at winco and our red meat comes from hunting so far Praise the Lord. Our freezers have been stocked for the last few years with elk and deer. But so so that bill does not include meat as a general rule, unless I'm buying something special like a brisket or sausages. Um, I did veer. Oh, so I went to Costco. We had some friends coming through town. And hi, Stacy and Luke. <laughs> and we, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, they're driving through town. They've got three kids and two dogs. Rather than try to meet them somewhere, they're going to be here for a late lunch. Why don't we just have them over for lunch? So I ran back. The sausage were still on coupon. I grabbed a bag of salad. I grabbed a bag of oranges that I could hack up. And also, utterly delightful to have a nine-year-old who loves to cook and who can follow directions well enough. I handed her a recipe for no-bake chocolate peanut butter oat bars and said, make these while I'm gone. And I came home and she had executed them perfectly. They were so good and she crushed it. And it 
It was a new level of parenting for me that I could hand a recipe to a kid and completely leave and have nothing to do with the making of it. It was fantastic. But while I was at Costco, because I was off script, I wandered down the towel aisle. And this is a really long story. Just to say, Costco had on coupon, but I still think they're a great price, microfiber beach towels. And they're the size of a beach towel. But I kid you not, you guys, I bought a couple of them just to try them out and see how they worked. That very day, I had JR towel off after he got out of the shower with one. And he's like, well, it's not absorbent like a cotton towel, but it worked. And I was thinking that these towels would be fantastic for the van because we're doing a couple of trips between now and the end of the summer that will involve being in the water. And so each person's going to need a towel. And real estate in a van is really prime. You want to make sure you're using your space well. And I can roll six beach-sized microfiber towels into a stuff sack that's the size of one beach towel, one cotton fluffy beach towel. And they've got loops on them that you can hang them to dry. And so I went back and I bought enough to fill out for our whole family. So we have six microfiber beach towels and I think we'll always have one in the car with us, I think, just because they're so small and you never know when you're going to need a towel. If somebody spills something or somebody gets wet or anyway, I'm if you're a Costco person and you they're I think they're 10 or 11 dollars now for a towel. They they're great. I'm I'm all in on them. So, Mike, I don't think we can link them because you have to be a Costco member to get a link to something, but I can, on our Telegram and our Instagram page, post a picture of these towels so you know what you're looking for. But our Costco still has a bunch roll, of them. They kind of roll, they kind of stick. They, they, they stick to you. Like normal towel, you take and you use the towel. To, you, you physically wipe the towel across your body, right? At least I do. This towel, you kind of stick it there and then roll it down your body. and It takes all the water with it, but you roll it. Just a different experience. Yeah. Rolling the towel. Instead of It came wiping. away. Yeah. 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 I don't know that I would enjoy using that particular towel in the winter. But in the summer, it's fine. And I wouldn't, re- I wouldn't substitute them for bath towels no. for us. But the kids all took them to the pool on Monday. I'm trying to think what day it is. So two days ago, the kids were so excited about you know, kids and new things. They all wanted to take the towels, the new towels to the pool with them. And they did. And they had zero problem carrying them in a little bag with their water bottle because they're so compact. And if they get out of the water, they either want to sit on a towel in the hot sun and it works perfectly for that. Or they want to wrap up in it and just cuddle up like they're in a blanket because they're a little bit chilly. Mm-hmm. JR's trying to take a selfie on his iPad right now. So no, I'm trying. No, I don't want to keep talking. Yeah. I look stupid if you take a selfie of me while I'm talking. I can't. And now I... we're upside down. Anyway, dumb. we highly, the kids loved them for the purpose that we were using them then for. You look like you're about to sneeze. I was going to take a photo, but the, but the, but the, 
It's for the Telegram is, group, you guys. But the, this is the annoying reality. Around. This is annoying. See, Look, my head is. <laughs> the button. I'm going to stop. You're silly. I was chatting Here, with like, smile. Phil on Telegram Here, briefly. And uh, I, was gonna, I said, that we're recording so a show easy. right now because the discussion is still around polls. Matthew, it was Matthew who said, hey, guys, how about some polls for ideas? And so I did this poll bot thing. And then suddenly the world blew Okay, up. I have one closing comment. <sighs> our sermon at church, our pastor's preaching through the Ten Commandments. Our sermon at church two weeks ago, this is what I was going to talk about two weeks ago, and then we got mm-hmm. derailed, and I don't even remember what we talked about, but was on the second commandment, no idols. And I don't know... In what context I was then, I was thinking about it in the context of Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23 is, of course, rich in so many ways. But I started thinking about it as an antidote to idolatry psalm. Because what does it start with? It starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And being in want is what the sense of wanting something and not getting it, first of all, is what causes conflict, according to James, what causes fights and quarrels among you. But the desires that wage war within you, you want something and you don't get it. I shall not be in want is a sense of lacking, either true lack or not getting what you want. And that's what produces, leads our hearts to idols, right? We want, some, we desire something that, and we're not satisfied in in God, Christ and Christ alone. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. How does he satisfy our souls with good things? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness versus sinful idolatry for his namesake, which is this the is third almost better than the sermon. No, you're not. You don't need to say that. <laughs> No, I I just I think that the topic of idolatry, as with any of the Ten Commandments, you can go a zillion different directions with, because the entire, I would say pretty much the entire Old Testament, and a lot of the New Testament is the story of an idolatrous people who have a merciful but holy God pursuing them and correcting them and calling right. them to what is truly good and what is truly worth worshiping and what is truly worth trying to satisfy your soul with because it is truly satisfying and you know so so the rest of psalm 23 even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies again this this abundant satisfaction that god gives to us when we're seeking our satisfaction in him and not in idols you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And the product of walking with God rather than seeking after idols is that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's not only a product of of walking, it's not it's not a result of our faithful walking with the mm-hmm. Lord, but it's the heart and soul filling promise of the better things and the goodness that come when we direct our hearts to seek after that. So I I think 
here's another link I'm going to send you, JR. I refer to this on a regular basis because it's so good. But years and years ago, David Pallison wrote an anti-Psalm 23 mm-hmm. that's a little bit more of a psychological uh, sense of emptiness rather than being led and, and cared for and feeling like you're on your own. And it's fantastic. So I I will have JR post that because it's 100% looking up and reviewing and it makes Psalm 23 so much richer. But this is a little bit different take on Psalm 23 when when you're having discussions about idolatry or you're fighting idolatry or discouragement. I had a conversation with a friend this morning on text who's that big storm that we had, JR, a couple days mm-hmm. ago, that so we sitting at our house and then at my parents' house who live half a mile from us are looking out towards the north and the entire north side of Billings is covered with black clouds, just super dark black clouds. And we got we got some wind, but we didn't get really bad weather at all. We just kept waiting for that black to come south towards us and it never <laughs> did. North of us... Roofs were damaged by hail. People literally had drifts of hail in their driveways, in their yards, and against their houses. I don't think any cars were damaged because the hail was smaller. It was crazy, though. But it the was... Flooding up in the heights. Yeah. Nice. And and so this friend that I was talking to, the way that their, their street is designed, the water, there's no longer a curb. And so all the water, rather than running down the street and into a drain went through their yard and into their window wells. Oh, no. And they had three feet of water in their basement. Wow, I didn't know this. You have to tell me who the friend was after the show. And they have carpet in their basement, and so they now have a flood restoration company. And, of course, their insurance company is like, well, I don't know. We don't do floods. And so now they're having to have the stress of fighting the insurance company. And I was like, how are you doing? And she's like, I'm not going to lie. I'm really discouraged. And now I'm discouraged at the state of my heart for not trusting God and not being grateful for how he's providing for us. And mm-hmm. I was like, I I understand being frustrated at yourself, but also it's okay to be discouraged. <laughs> it's okay to, to, to look at the world around you and be like, you know what, this is a really hard world to live in. And... I think that the the ver- the song that I sent her, but I think I'm going to send her Psalm 23 later also. But the song that I sent her is Psalm 103, where God says, where the psalmist says, God is compassionate on you like a father is compassionate on his children. And he knows that you are but dust. He knows your frame. He knows that you are but dust. And of course, we hear all of the little kid jokes about what is but dust. Uh, but, but God knows how frail you are and how easily prone to discouragement you are because you live in a fallen world and you're not perfect. And he doesn't expect you to be able to bootstrap your way out of that discouragement. He, I think that God in this is compassionate to his children who struggle in the way that he was compassionate to the father in Mark, who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. That's what God expects of us is to say, God, I'm discouraged. Please help me to turn to you in my discouragement. He doesn't expect you to say, God, I'm discouraged. I read a psalm and now I'm not discouraged anymore. 
God, I'm fearful for my family's finances because what if we're on the hook to do all these repairs? God doesn't expect you to be like, and then I read that Jehovah is Jireh and I'm not worried about my finances anymore. That's not what a compassionate father expects. I think the best metaphor that came to mind for me on this is if we take our kids, well, like on the Hiawatha Trail, (laughs) we, we... We knew that it would be a challenge for the younger kids because even though it's mostly downhill, it's 15 miles. And then what we didn't know, because we're not an all-knowing father, is that the last two miles on the way back would be back through the same tunnel that traumatized, freezing cold, wet tunnel, pitch black tunnel that traumatized Elise on the way out. And, and, And so... What we, in our finite parenting, could do is to be compassionate to her. We're not yelling at her. We're not angry at her. We don't expect her to be able to just buck up and do it. What we do is we compassionately come alongside her. We encourage her. We um, we tell her she's doing great. And we say, this is making you stronger. We want to encourage you and help you. And make you stronger. And parents who take their kids on hikes, they do these little increments to build their kids' strength. And God leads us through trials to build our strength. And he's compassionate and he comes alongside us. And unlike us fallen parents who, when our kids get whiny on hikes, we get angry, sinfully angry and frustrated with them. God stays patient and compassionate even when we're when we are metaphorically the kids lying on the path screaming <laughs> because we're sick of how hard this hike is and god remains perfectly compassionate like an ideally perfectly compassionate parent would be in guiding their children through something that they're they're taking them through to make them stronger but they know it's a test for them and they know it's stretching them beyond their capacity and that is what in our struggles god expects us to look to him to when he holds out his hand to us you know to make the hike easier to to take his hand he doesn't expect us to be able to just buck up and feel better and not be discouraged at living life in a hard world you know what i love about our podcast is the last several in recent memory maybe all of them always end up with you saying something really encouraging and hopeful. I think I'm kind of trying to preach to myself. (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Stay the course, man. We had a conversation this morning in my Bible study, um, along the lines of things that'll stretch you. And we were talking about how, um, you know, becoming a parent gives you more enlightenment into God's, discussion on being God the Father and and sometimes you just want to tell your kid like just hey just just do this just stay there do this and, and things will go well for you just just play it out you know type of thing and it makes you wonder how many times God's doing the same thing to us just just play it out like things will go well for you if you just like I've, this way I've set it up this way things work see we Stop can't it. always know that for our kids though no, it, right. it's great that God knows that. But I'm talking about the things we do know. Oh, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, God knows that we don't for sure on that level. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it just kind of like 
makes me wonder how much of my life is more like, you know, hey, just, just, I know this is stretching you, but this is the way I've set it up to work. If they just ride it out. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. And also, I think, did we talk about kids in pain last week? No. Okay. So very quickly, you guys, Titus walked stepped backwards into our solo stove at our cabin last week and has like a what eight inch long it's bigger than burn. The one I had. it's huge on his calf and he had trouble sleeping that night because it's when, right after you get a burn you know it keeps burning it just hurts yeah. and we had horribly. i keep cooling gel around for that so and he was we, applying it but we it, you, know, like you just can't minutes. you can't make yeah. it stop and so he he 11 o'clock he's lying in bed crying because he knows he should be sleeping he knows he's going to be miserable the next day and it hurts too badly for him to fall asleep and and then the next day, he kept telling me how much it hurt. And then he did something else that he kept complaining about that it hurt. And I finally, I wouldn't say I snapped, <laughs> but I did something close but to I that. But I snapped. I cried. I, 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 I finally told him, look, dude, your dad, JR, literally the week before, backed into the solar, two weeks ago, backed into the solar stove and burned his calf. And I was Almost like, same spot. same spot, same burn. How much did you hear your dad complain about it? And he was like, nah, nah, nah. do you think that's because it didn't hurt? Or do you think it's because he's learned to just live with a certain level of pain and to know that it doesn't do anybody any good to have you keep complaining? And I was thinking about God, you know, what is what is God's attitude toward us when we God is way more patient and merciful to us when we are suffering and in pain? than I am to my children when I've heard for the dozenth time that day about how much X, Y, or Z hurts. But at the same time, as a human being who keeps, who lives in a fallen world and who does things, you have to just get used to getting tweaked and getting burnt and getting cuts. And if you're mm. using a shovel and I don't know what he did the other day, somehow he smacked himself in the face or on the head with a clot of dirt while he was tapping off the shovel or something. And, you know, you smash fingers and you smash toes and nobody loves to hear you keep complaining about it, even though it hurts. And then this was brought home to me because I bought a new with Amazon Prime Day. I bought a new mandolin slicer thinking, oh, the kids will have fun. It's one of the ones that's not just a mandolin, but you can slam the lid down and it cuts vegetables and fruits into cubes. And I thought the kids would have fun making salads and cutting their own carrots into fun shapes. And I'm using the mandolin thing of it, and I cut off a fairly sizable chunk of my pinky finger with it because I wasn't being careful the very first time I used it. And because of the way I just sheared off I don't know, a half centimeter circle of my pinky, it just bled and bled and bled and bled. And you could you couldn't JR I texted him that I was like, I'm I'm just bleeding a lot right now. And my finger was kind of in shock at first, so it didn't really hurt, but then throughout the day it just started throbbing all the way down almost to my elbow from the tip of my pinky. And for two days it was raw and if I took the bandage off it would start bleeding again. And I just took a couple moments to point out to Titus. Like, it's always on my mind because I can't do anything without my pinky hurting. I can't wash dishes or wash my hands without it getting wet. And then, you know, I have to change the bandage and it starts bleeding again. 
And I just pointed out, do you think this doesn't hurt anymore? And that's why I'm not making a big deal out of it. It really hurts, actually. Like, I had trouble falling asleep last night because I changed the bandage and was trying to let it air out. And it was, it hurt. And I was like, do you think that I'm just living with a certain level of pain because that's just what you do when you live in a fallen world? Or do you think that, that it just doesn't hurt anymore miraculously? let the listener understand what I expect you to do when you keep hurting yourself. But anyway, that was, is an interesting thing to ponder. Something. How, how does God hear us in a, what does a perfect father with no sinful impatience or angriness do in hearing nonstop complaints and cries of our heart? Some that are legit and some that are not from his children. Seriously. Oh man. You know, I think I made the comment too. I was like, you know, I mean, I, I would much rather do th- I enjoy being around them. I'd much rather have my kids around when I do things. Um which got me thinking, you know, see maybe that's the way God was. He's, you know, God really enjoys having us around, but when we're whiny little, you know, biznatches. Right. <laughs> he just smack us upside the head. Right, but he does. Well, but he doesn't. Maybe he he know. corrects us. He does. He does. Oh, okay. Well, we're pretty close to We got to go feed the kids. Our lunch. target time. Ooh of an hour and I've got to change brakes on the truck and install some last minute last bolts and then uh, you know, this and that and the other thing. So thank you for joining us. If you do want to interact with us and anything we have had said on this show, the best place to do that is on our telegram group. I'll include the link. It's a private group. I'll include the link in uh, the show notes. You can click through that. And if uh, you're already on telegram, add the group. If you're not, you can sign up and do that. Um, you can also just send us a web, uh, Note on our website at uh, www.toobusytoflush.com. Scroll all the way down, and we've got a we've got a postcard option. You can shoot us a postcard there. We also have an email that nobody ever uses: tb2f the number two f at pmpapamike.me. So you can do. Have that you checked you it recently? Yeah, yeah oh, I check okay. my emails. It's, it comes into all the emails every day. So uh, yeah, I think that's it, you guys. Um, we will be back a little bit later next week. No, we won't be back at all next week. That's right, because I fly um, out after we yes, get home. Yes, there will not be a show next week, so uh, let the listener understand that it's not because we don't love you. It's because we're, we're not busy. together. Things like that happen. So I don't have the wherewithal or time or inclination to get Molly set up on something remote. If one of us traveled more often than not, for sure do that, because... It's totally doable. But until that time comes, if that time ever comes, we're just going to take some time off, kids. So, that said, I don't have anything else. Do you? I don't. Okay. There we go. Talk to you guys whenever we manage it. (laughs) 